We're breaking down RevOps with some of the biggest names in SaaS. Every week, Patrick Campbell and Michael Klett unravel the mysteries of RevOps. I spend all my time thinking about revenue operations. While also enjoying some of the best and freshest hops around. Cheers to RevOps. Today, we talk RevOps and tooling with Michael Couch, the founder of Couch & Associates. This is RevOps and Hops. Welcome to RevOps and Hops. I'm Patrick Campbell from ProfitWell. Got Michael Klett here from Chargerfy. And who are you? I'm Mike Couch. Mike Couch. And you're at Couch & Associates. You want to tell us what we're drinking here today? Yeah, let's talk about the beer. So I know this episode, we're going to be evaluating our tooling around RevOps. So yep. what I wanted to do there is There always talk has about, to be a tie back in. That's right. I want to talk about how you evaluate a beer, how you okay. use the tools, which are your senses, there we go. To, to learn about beer. So we're out here at Ranger Creek Brewing in San Antonio, and we're going to uh, taste and 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 use our senses on their Love Struck yeah. Heffy. We're going to go through the full thing. So this Got is it. how you're supposed to taste beer. And step right. one is look at it. Okay. Right, you can hold it up to the light, take a look, and you're looking for things like, okay, is it, is this one clear? Is it cloudy? This is a Hefeweizen, okay. which has wheat in it. Got it. Which has more proteins in it, which it. usually means it's going to be uh, a little, yeah. a little less clear, and they're also usually unfiltered. So step two yep. is you smell it. Yep. I did not learn this until a couple of years ago. But okay. When I smell a beer now, what do I do? Um, is I take two whiffs. Your first one is like a quick like inhalation. Got it. Right. And then you wait it's like a second. It's a palate cleanse. Yeah, almost. And then you come back and you take a, a slower, longer whiff. So what's going to happen is like the most pronounced smells are just going to like smack your nose in the face the first time through. Okay. Right. And then the second time through, you'll have acclimated to that and you'll Ooh, actually pick up on more of the nuances than you would have otherwise. Now I want to smell because that sounds cool. <laughs> There's a little bit of citrus. Okay. Yeah, I get um almost like a little bit of like weediness, right? Because we know yeah. there's, there's weed in it. All like right. if you want to go back for a second smell, you can actually like reset by smelling the back of your hand, the Yourself. back of your arm. It resets your your senses. So it's good if you want to go back in for a second smell. So okay. now you can taste. Now okay. so but this ahead. is only the third of fourth steps. This is the third of four. Gosh. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Yeah, yeah, cheers. Oh, I mean, we'll talk about it after. Cheers. Uh, I know, I know one of the flavors that I get actually in the taste. It was also in the smell for me. Do you say anybody else like you get like a banana? Then also like let it like hit different parts of your tongue. Yeah, right. Because you have different like abilities on the different parts of your tongue, like for bitter and sweet. And yeah, bittersweet. Like you have all these different receptors. Mm-hmm. So you let let it kind of like wash over your tongue. And you're okay. Get different flavors. That's the first step, step of the way. That's still part of step three. Okay. Yeah, but it helps us with step four, which is mouthfeel. Mm. I mean, I think this is how a lot of times all other things being equal, you tell the the good beers from the great beers. Got it. Mm. It's like, is it, does it, this is going to sound weird, but does it taste like wet or does it taste dry? How would you describe this one? This one? And it's going to sound weird. So it's actually, okay. it's a little bit dry to me because of the carbonation level. Okay. Right. You get all those prickles. So it's a little bit dry. Got it. Uh, which to me also means it probably doesn't have a ton of like residual sweetness. There, there's sweetness. Mm. But a lot of those sugars in there have been fermented out and make it a little bit dry. Very cool. Yeah. What do you, marketing consultancy, tons of those. Tons what of those. Do you do? Tons of those. Yeah. Well, we are a little bit unique in the sense that we have a big technology group as well as a marketing group. Um, we um, really focus on helping people to make sure that they have the right technology that's aligned with a strategy so that they can uh, maximize their customer experience. I kind of feel like what we're talking about is experiencing things, right? It's different ways of experiencing <laughs> your senses, right? This is a marketer. Right and, uh, you know, I think that. RevOps, which is the topic we're trying to talk about here, is is really the 
the back end or the back office of customer experience. Okay. And so it's like, like you know, we're, we're looking at customer experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then how you're experiencing things or not experiencing totally. things, right? So we learn a lot about like, I mean, the system to tasting beers, sure. system mm-hmm. scent, these types of things. Why why are systems like so important right now? Like mm. I know that's a little bit oxymoronic to say because systems have always been important, but you know, 15, 20 years ago, maybe the entire business was the system because mm. you just had to put so much effort to getting the the server racks together just to like function a website, right? Sure. But why is it why is it now in the world of the cloud, all these different things, like why are systems now, you know, more important than ever? Um, I think that the uh the customer is really driving that. So Customers are doing anything that they've ever not done in the past. I think, you know, 50 years ago, people tended to do things until they felt the overarching, um, you know, advertising or mm. commercialism of the thing that they're doing. So they could be part of a club, they could be part of something. And and if it got a little bit too, you know, for the wrong reasons, um, they would move to something else. Got it. And what's happening today is that there's just so many things you can move to so quickly. Mm-hmm. So if I'm on a social media platform and I'm enjoying it, but now all of a sudden it's full of advertisements, I'm not going to stick around on that anymore, sure. right? And so people are moving from thing to thing very quickly. I did a little talk the other day and you know, people were asking me about TikTok and I barely even know what TikTok was and I'm yeah. kind of in this business. So I'm just, it moves very quickly, even for an expert in the space, it gets difficult. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you guys do that as a consumer. So because people are moving so quickly between these things, you've got companies who are trying to effectively, uh, and not necessarily in a negative way, but they want to talk to the people that are in these different mm. things because these are effectively segments for them, potential customers, and they can help them out with their products and mm-hmm. services. But because of this constant movement, systems have become so much more relevant because you need potentially a system or a tool to access those people in those networks. Uh, back in the day, because people stuck around in these things and it was a lot slower, sure, you probably just didn't notice it. And p- uh, businesses built processes and, and maybe had a system that yeah. would address that particular market. You know, there's probably a phone system or something mm, like that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas today you need to constantly be adapting because people are moving from one thing to another so quickly. Yeah. Um, we were just talking today about how Twitter effectively launched at South by Southwest, uh, just north of here, um, you know, less than a decade ago. Yeah. To most people, Twitter is like this old thing that's been around forever. Was you it know? less than a decade ago? I think so, yeah. I, I don't remember cow. the exact date, but it, it's moving very fast, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I don't think it will stop necessarily. Um, people will just continue to find places where they prefer to do what they want to do and then eventually that gets commercialized it's kind of part of a natural cycle of things right and so systems are there to aid the business and the customer to to, you know interact in a way that they're comfortable with and then if they're not comfortable people will go their separate ways Mm. Um, but because of the amount of movement and the amount of different platforms the customer is using organizations need to have so many different tools to then address that customer at least when it comes to marketing sure um and as well for sales and i think if you get into um other aspects like customer success, the the general idea still remains, right? Sure. I, I, I don't want to call Verizon anymore. I want to tweet at them. Sure. So it's not okay for Verizon to just say, ah, oh, we're not going to respond to those tweets. Like they have to be able to react because that's where the customer yeah. is and now they have to have tooling to... I mean, they can do whatever they like, but it's probably not going to be in their best interest yeah. to right. ignore people for too long. Angry people on Twitter, yeah. especially. And and that's how <laughs> most people that I... I is anyone have on Twitter about. not angry? Yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's how most companies have 
entered into social media was that they had no choice, hmm. right? They didn't yeah, do it because they wanted to do it, uh, at least not uh, many. Well, even yeah. Apple was like, we're not going to be on Twitter. And yeah. then all of a sudden, last couple of years, don't like, really have a choice. Has to be. Yeah, it's, it's now the uh, medium in which that's being done. So, yeah. yeah. Do you think that most businesses today have too many SaaS tools or not enough SaaS mm-hmm. tools to help in this customer experience? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. Um, I think that uh, most companies have neither too many or too few. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could probably say, I think the um, stat we were looking at before, something like um, like 32 was the average uh, in, in a marketing sales customer experience tech stack. Mm-hmm. What I would say is that I think a lot of organizations have a bit of the trophy effect when it comes to their technology. And what that is, is that because we as marketers mm-hmm. um, understand that the best way to attract customers is to educate them and help sure. them, right? That is kind of the new normal, the new status quo. It's a bit of a table stake these days. I help you and I have a better probability sure. of winning your business. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in that world, um, we know that if it, we're educating people, we can um, you know, g- gain their trust and we, and we get them in there. And then we can create the category for which our business and mm-hmm. our technology sits. There are a lot of people out there that because they have the, the easiest access to technology education they have or co- um, the content they get is coming from these organizations, they, they feel the, that they have to fill the categories that they have. So it's, it. it's like, um, I can be effective marketer um, because I have filled the categories of technology that I'm supposed to generally have. So I'm supposed to have a state. social media scheduling. I'm supposed to have a monitoring yes. tool. I'm supposed to have this. So I um, am going out and I'm fulfilling those categories because if I don't, uh, all no, many different things could maybe yeah. arise. I'm not doing a good job or I, I'm missing something or whatever. Right. Um, and I think that rather than having quantifying how many you should or shouldn't have, I think you should quantify how many you have that you can correlate a benefit back to your customer. Got it. Um, mm. uh, n- you know, we were going to talk a little bit about um, like who owns a tech stack within a company. Um, and, I, you know, I, I thought about that quite a bit. And, I, and, you know, people use that in different contexts all the time. You know, how do you uh, own a tech stack? What does it even mean? I sure. think salespeople love to talk about things that way because they yeah. say like, you know, oh, well, Bob owns the tech, you know, that tech solution so I can talk to Bob and that'll help, you know, he can make a decision on that. But he's not necessarily the end user of it. Sure. So ownership from an end user perspective. Mm. Um, but back to the, what we were talking about, I just think ultimately your customer should kind of own your tech stack. Interesting. You know, because yeah. if you're, your customer, like that's why you have these things is to communicate with them better. So if your tech stack is being built as a means to fill some categories mm-hmm. or as a means for basically any other purpose yeah. other than to communicate better with your customer, you may have too few and you may have too many. So I would, right. I would really use that as your barometer for what makes sense because yeah. otherwise, what are you doing? Sure. You know, and uh, it, it's just, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I understand the pressures that, that people have and to fulfill things. And sometimes one of the easiest ways to learn about technology is to get it. Yeah. Right. So that that's fair. But I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, like a good RevOps group would really be looking at who am I trying to like, what am I trying business outcomes do I want? How am I trying to improve my customer? And then how am I picking the best technology to do that? 
Yeah. And I think as technology companies, um, especially CTOs and product people, I think that is, there, there's an opportunity there. It's very refreshing because then what you can really do is you can become best in class. Mm, yeah. Right. Not just a machine trying to educate and sell, but an actual um, demonstration of your product capabilities. Mm. Right. And then that just flows nicely through, through your tools, right into your customer's hands. That's cool. And that's just a very honest, straightforward approach. And I think everybody is yearning for that. Right. And that's something that, Content tends to succeed when it has that type of feel to it, right? So. I like how the, the reason I like the RevOps concept of bringing systems under one roof on mm -hmm. the revenue side is because we've noticed at least, and, and we're, you know, 90 people. And so just kind of you know, the first set of champagne problems with, you know, operations, let alone like a 300, 500,000 person company. But when we bring in a new leader, they, it, there's like a little bit of a protect the dog bowl problem mm -hmm. where it's like, well, I used this at my last company, therefore yes. I need to use it here. Mm -hmm. um, we need to rip that tool out. And then all of that, you know, it's, it's to me, it's sometimes it's a sign of someone who's not actually thinking through the problem like you're mm -hmm. talking about. But what, what's your take kind of on, you know, you've implemented lots of tools, right? <laughs> you know, um, and, and what's the most common, like a marketing automation suite? Marketing automation, CRM, okay. stuff like that. So marketing automation. Mm-hmm hundreds if not thousands of different marketing automation mm -hmm. products right in different mm -hmm. and some of them are overall some of them are niche are you someone who kind of is like i like to implement what i know how to use mm -hmm. especially as an agency or is it more this company needs hubspot this company needs drip this company needs this other thing like mm -hmm. how do you think about picking the right tool essentially for for your need as you're kind of talking about? definitely um so i think that if, you know, like you said, there are hundreds of thousands of things. There are probably a smaller set of um, tools that would satisfy certain types of companies. So if you are a high growth company in a technology space, mm -hmm. then there's that list gets smaller. Sure. If you are a Fortune 1000 company, that list gets smaller. Tiny, yeah. Right. There is a lot of politics yeah. with it. Um, one of the biggest things is that these systems tend to get embedded into these into organizations, especially larger organizations. So there's a bit of a, um, there's a huge change management problem, Sure. right? So if you're gonna switch the big change management problem, um, in general, I, th I find that the reason for switching is not usually a legitimate reason. Um, things like it's difficult um, to use, or it's expensive, or it's, you know, these are the, the kind of the high level types of uh, excuses. Sure. To be frank, um, for why there might be a switch, a, a new leader. I use this at the other the other job, right? Yeah. I always ask, what kind of goat would your tech stack be if okay. it was uh. a goat? And the, and then is it is it the goat this goat which is the Tim Duncan there the, yeah. the greatest yeah, of yeah, all yeah, time, yeah. or is it this goat and it's a you know scapegoat? It's the goat uh, with the bell around its neck. And because that that is a very common reason to switch or change and obviously sales teams will support that switch if it's in their favor um so you know it, those things tend to precipitate but you know these switches can cost way more than the cost of the system yeah. you know and they often do yeah. so it's not a money thing yeah you know and they often the downtime in between oh, heavily terrible. impacts the customer so it's mm -hmm. not on their behalf yeah um i i sometimes feel like it's just it's hard to look in the mirror and say it's this not working problem. Yeah, because it's yeah. here, right? And um, we need people to do more of that because yeah. it, it's okay. Uh, and in fact, if we're going to try to stay abreast with our customer at the speed that they're moving, 
we need to be a little bit more comfortable with failing inside an organization. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to fail big, but we do want to fail small because if you look at things from a scientific perspective, you know, most scientists who are doing experiments for whatever field they're in, they spend most of their life not getting the result that they're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're proving things that don't fit, yeah. right? And so that they can get to the cure, so that sure. they can get to the answer. So I kind of feel like we don't have an environment like that in mar most marketing organizations. We tend to um, you know, run a campaign and it better work, yeah. right? Because we're putting a lot behind this. Um, and so we tend to have that ment mentality and it makes it hard to keep up with the customer let alone the competition, but the yeah. customer themselves moving so quickly. So being able to move a little bit quicker, um, I think that takes away from the, the some of the, the concerns people have about, oh, it's because of this system or that system, hmm. pot potentially that is the, the root of the cause. Got it. Because as, as from a consulting perspective, I often you know push people to understand what's your business problem. Sure. I understand what you're saying to me, but I would like to understand what your business problem is that's behind that. Some people come up with that quickly. Some people, you know, you can get that from them. Um, and then at the end of the day, do we care if we use, like, do we really care how we solve that problem exactly? Um, as long as we're doing it in the most efficient way we know how to. So yeah. we want to use the best tool that we're addressing that with. So what we've at least found with like a sales ops and a marketing ops person, they act very, very differently. Mm -hmm. um, we've also found that, you know, sometimes they're not talking to one another, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then some people negotiate a little bit, a little bit better than others. And so, yeah. yeah tell, tell us a little about that based on your experience. Um, okay. Uh, I guess there's, uh, I mean, people do things a lot of different ways, no, of right? Course. It's, it's very, um, fragmented in terms of how I've seen people do different things. Um, but if, you were going to go through a process like that. Um, I would generally want to recommend, and I, I, I've been brought into circumstances where it's kind of like, hey, hey this is what we decided on. Can, can you make it look like I made a good decision? Kind of thing, <laughs> you know? And that's, that's difficult, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah, a tricky yeah. place for a consultant to be because I don't, you know, I, I, where do I keep my credibility? Yeah, that's totally. Yeah. Right. Um, but, if you're if you're going to go through that process, I think that one of the biggest things is that if it's a revenue operations group or or a, the system is going to try to transcend these different groups, um, one of the things that you could look at would be um, how do you get the buy-in from the people? Mm. I, I really find that, like I said, I, I, I'm a real technology background. And the one thing I've learned in my career and probably most of the mistakes I've made in my career are really around um, not putting enough uh, care and emphasis around how much people matter in a mm. process. Um, I, I really think, you know, people are really concerned about, you know, the future about AI and everything turning into robots. I think at the end of the day, uh, as long as we remain at the helm here, we're going to be desiring to talk to, when I buy something, I want to talk to a salesperson, sure. right? And I'm going to go to the company that provides me with that human interaction. Given some categories, whatever categories are your favorite, yeah. what are your favorite tools in those categories? I think that, um, and it kind of go back to what I was saying before, was that if, um, as technologists, and, and I know you as a, you know, a CTO role, um, you're passionate about what you do, um, sometimes it's difficult to see that not matter in a sales and marketing sense. Mm. 
And um, I think that I really appreciate where if there's technology prowess and benefit um, that those things come through. Mm. Um, now it may be challenging because it might be complex. It might be you know many things that marketing would struggle with and have to nuance. But um, in all in all, without skirting your question too much, if I took a category, we implement a lot of CRM and marketing automation and, sure. and tools of that nature, um, systems that manage data. Um, so it, it always, I always like to be in a position where if a customer comes to me after I've, you know, come to a conclusion that this is probably the best fit, that they say, Mike, here's a problem I now have, a sure. new problem. I don't feel restricted because I have best in class um, technology for the environment that I'm in, yeah. right? And so I, that's that makes things very easy for me because then I don't have to go back and say I'm restricted by something. Mm. Um, and that sometimes comes at the cost of usability because sure. it doesn't have to be easy to use to be powerful. Got it. Right? Um, you know, companies like Bloomberg with their Bloomberg terminals, like one of the biggest things is that, you know, you sit beside me and use your Bloomberg terminal and you sit beside me to, but I know how to use this complex machine best. Yeah. So I'm, I'm good at this. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, sometimes these things, to, you know, things like usability, some of these other things can take a backseat, not to say that that's important to everybody, but for me personally, sure. I would look at my choices being around ensuring that that has the longevity because the cost to change a big system in a big company could be multi-year, multi-millions of dollars. Yeah, it gets problematic. I want to make sure that any challenge that that, CEO, CMO comes to me and says, Mike, here's the new, the new problem, the new bottleneck in the business. I can say, well, guess what? We should be good to go. We got such and we such, got yeah. the we got the steam engine we need behind us to do it. So that's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming, man. Cheers. Well, yeah. well thank you very much. This has been fun. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. So cool. What'd you learn? Uh, well, I asked him the provocative question about like, you know, yeah. most businesses have too many or too few SaaS tools. Cause obviously I'm a fan of SaaS. I liked his answer. Yeah. It's it like, was it not was too perfect. many, not was, too, not too low. And that was yeah. not even scripted. He just, he got to that on his own, but yeah, you know, he's yeah, right. Yeah. Like, you know, the, it isn't whether it's too many or too few. It's like finding the right number, especially in the context of customers who yeah. see you as one company. Totally. Right. And so the experience delivered to them through those tools need to be seamless. So that could be one tool. Or it could be, you know, yeah. 45 tools. Well, and I think that my big thing there was also like the tool that fits the solution you're going for, not the ego of the person buying it or, Definitely. you know, hey, this is the checkbox that we have to check. I think that's that's something where, you know, that's when someone would have too many tools or not enough tools is if they, you know, aren't thinking about, yeah, we got to spend a little bit more money to get this thing that's actually going to do the thing that we needed to do. I really liked his answer when we were talking about, um, you know, it's okay to overspend, you know, in hindsight, like it's okay because at the end of the day, as long as people are using it mm -hmm. internally in order to do the job you're trying to do, right. that's going to pay off, you know, so many dividends, especially right. amongst a SaaS company and things right. like that. Yeah. If, if the users are getting the value out of it. Totally. Right. Awesome. And I also learned Hefeweizen, right? Hefeweizen. I like Hefeweizen. Have you not had one before? I've had one. But okay. Like, this is the one where I'm like, it's not bitter. Well, now you know how to like taste it. Now you know how to like taste from start it to finish. Do it. The mouth feel. Yeah. The mouth feels the beer. Yeah. It changes the way you think about a beer.
Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode of RevOps and Hops, if you got some value from it, share it with a friend, a colleague, family member, neighbor, pet at home. I don't know. Share it with anyone else who you think is going to get some value and make sure you're subscribed either by checking in with your email or by using your podcasting app of choice. But we will see you next week and cheers. Cheers. Cheers.